Welcome to the Real Python Podcast. This is episode 152. Are you exploring automation of your repetitive business tasks with Python? How are you going to share these useful tools with coworkers? This week on the show, Sampo Ahokas from Robocore is here to discuss robotic process automation and distributing these robots. Sampo is a co-founder and VP of engineering at Robocore. We talk about using Robot Framework, an open source RPA tool, to develop bots that implement your existing Python skills. Sampo shares example projects and additional resources for new users. We discuss the typical difficulties of sharing automation tools with a team and trying to avoid the dreaded works on my machine problem. Sampo describes how their group worked to develop a Conda-based tool for creating shareable packages and environments. This episode is brought to you by RevSys. RevSys is the leading Python consulting firm. They help organizations of all sizes build, scale, and improve their existing Python and Django-based web applications. All right, let's get started. The Real Python Podcast is a weekly conversation about using Python in the real world. My name is Christopher Bailey, your host. Each week, we feature interviews with experts in the community and discussions about the topics, articles, and courses found at realpython.com. After the podcast, join us and learn real-world Python skills with a community of experts at realpython.com. Hey, Sampo. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, Christian. And th thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. You had reached out a, a while ago, and uh, it took a while to kind of get things scheduled, but I'm excited to talk about it. This has been kind of an ongoing thread on the show, actually multiple threads kind of tying together this idea of kind of doing automation and scheduling tasks. We've been talking about Airflow and a, and a couple other kinds of tools that had to do with like business processes. And this one seems to kind of tie a lot of that together. So maybe you can talk a little bit about what RPA, robotic process automation, is. Uh, absolutely. And I, I've been actually listening to your podcast. Oh, great. So the Airflow, it, it kind of touches this a little bit from a different angle. And we, we did look into Airflow as a base for our product early on, uh, but ended up building up our own ultimately. But that's another story. So <laughs> on, on, to the, on to the RPA. So... RPA is, is basically using a software-based robots or bots to automate repetitive tasks. And, and typically this uh, happens without altering the existing systems. Okay. So in a way, you, you often have systems that are not designed to be automated, especially not via API. So the bot can use the system exactly as, as a human would and, and then, then get the things done. Just to kind of clarify... By saying like kind of a non-modified thing, this could be like a individual worker's workstation at, at an office, something that's not specifically set up for, you know, this particular task. Is that what you mean? Yes, absolutely. A lot of the systems we see are like Oracle EBS or some old school Java applications, Windows, MFC, basically any type of user interfaces okay. where you don't have really a programmatic interface. So that's the classic RPA. All right. So automation can sometimes be a little confusing as to 
you know, exactly what it means. What, what do you mean in this p- particular case? What are we automating? Right. So there, there, of course, use cases are endless. And like our CEO likes to say, um, in RPA, oftentimes the use cases are like snowflakes, meaning that each of them is unique. Like they serve a unique intercompany that they want to automate. But just a few examples, like a concrete examples, maybe starting with a very simple one from our company. So we are a young company, around four years old, a small company. So we don't have all that much legacy. But in Finland, at least, uh, companies are legally required to keep very detailed records of employees' working hours. Okay. And and that makes a lot of sense for some companies. But in companies like ours, we basically value results, not so much like how many hours did you exactly work on a given day. So it's not like a big time clock on the wall that people are punching in and punching out. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, but we are still forced uh, to kind of keep details records. So so one of our developers made a bot that will just log in uh, to the Asia system at the last day of given month and just submit the seven and a half hours a day for all, all the working days. So kind of very simple example how this can save the developer, let's say, 15 to 30 minutes a month uh, of, of tedious uh, punching in the hours for each day. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's something that could be easy for someone to forget. So what sort of system would that be running on in, in your particular office? So in, in our case, the, this specific bot is running on everybody's um, own workstation. Okay. So, so uh, the, the system that's being automated is, is a web-based system where you just need to input the hours and the bot is running on your own machine. Okay, nice. I, I like that example. That's a pretty common one I can think of for a small office. Do you have some other common examples of, of like these sorts of little tasks that people want to automate? Oh, absolutely. So what we see in the in the customer, maybe in the real world a bit more. So one, one classic example is like, let's say a company gets a new customer and they might have 10 different systems where they need to input input uh, data about the customer, the names, addresses, that kind of thing. So you might just input the data once and kick off a bot that logs into each of these systems where this information is to go and, and then just goes and uh, types it in there with whatever means necessary for any any given system. Yeah. Some other examples I, I can think of, or, or actually something that we very recently worked on, is for instance comparing two signatures. So a company has a like a reference signature from the customer in their records, and then they get a new document uh, sent by the customer containing a signature. So the bot will actually compare the signatures and and try to determine if these are from the same person. And and this use case was built with with like of course artificial intelligence making the ultimate decision. But in in this example, RPA is kind of the hands of the AI. So RPA is the way to get the documents there and get the results where they need to go, etc. The example you gave of first of a sort of onboarding a customer, I can kind of think of a, a reverse of that, how someone involved in maybe HR, the human resources part of hiring someone and the very repetitive information that just gets filled in onto every single form. <laughs> so... Absolutely. That's a very common case. Yeah. In this particular case, maybe we can get into what the system sort of looks like that is implementing that. Oh, you you mean the uh, RPA platform? Yeah. Kind of what's kind of underneath the, the hood there. 
it sounds like you're able to give this to a developer to create these tools. And maybe we could talk about what that sort of platform looks like as far as the the tools that the person's sort of using. And then we could talk about deploying it, if you will, of, of you know, sending it to these other machines to be able to to run and, and be a bot by themselves. Oh, absolutely. So so typically, if we think of a RPA deployment, so as you said, the, the bot needs to be ultimately built. So, so the de- developer has to teach how the bot, bot will do its job. And for that, we have built some open source tooling as well as some free tooling that is not completely open source. But that's the kind of the thing you see if you look our company on the GitHub. So, so there's a lot of our libraries that you can utilize. And we base our stack entirely on Python. Okay. And uh, the, the developer can basically use raw Python or then some uh, add-on libraries on top of that. So it's, it's all up to the developer to choose. Then let's say the bot is eventually built and it's working on the developer's machine. Uh, then, then the question is uh, how to deploy it. Yeah. So there's two main ways to deploy RPA bots. But we classify them to, to attended and unattended. Mm. And the attended would typically mean that it runs on on person's personal uh, computer workstation in a way that the person is always triggering it, essentially having a small application where, where they can press a button and say, all right, now now I need you to do some work. Okay. And the other type of deployment is, is unattended, where it's more like a back office type of deployment where the bot can run in a virtual machine or a container or basically any type of compute that that you you have deployed it on and that is managed the operation is managed by what is in the rpa world called as a orchestrator is kind of um, orchestrating the work pushing the work to the the workers etc okay so to go back to kind of the developer story of of working with this is that where this robot framework kind of comes in and what is that yes definitely so so robot framework uh, it's actually an open source automation framework that has been written in Python. Okay. Uh, it, so, so it sits on top on top of Python and it provides a keyword driven syntax for defining automations. And it, it's hundred percent open source. Its its roots are in test automation. So it it, it is actually a, also from Finland. And there's a guy Peke who made it as a, his master's thesis back in. 2008 or something like that. So it's already a mature project. Did you say testing um, yes. automation? Okay, great. Yes, so the roots are in the test automation. And, and then over the years, it, it has been adapted towards more, to be more suitable for any type of automation tasks. Okay. So this one, I understand the framework kind of being built using a lot of Python. There's still quite a bit of configuration that you're doing inside of it also to kind of provide the set of tasks and things that you wanted to do. And in that case, you're using a configuration file and you chose YAML for this. Yes, our our stack is based on YAML. Okay. (laughs) I don't know if you've heard recently, we've had a little kind of back and forth about YAML, Christopher Trudeau and myself, um, him spending a little more time on it than, than me. And we were talking about some of kind of the quirkiness of it sometimes. 
Are you using a specific uh, version of YAML? I uh, know. Our usage is pretty basic. Ultimately, we were thinking between JSON and YAML, and, and YAML can have comments. So that, <laughs> that was the deciding factor, ultimately. Yeah, that makes a big difference, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, it looks like there's like a, a couple files you set up that are YAML. There's the, the robot one. And what are you configuring in there? The robot.yaml. So, so we have chosen a convention that there's two YAML files, and the robot YAML is is essentially defining what the bot is doing. Okay. So it, it contains a list of tasks. So you can bundle uh, multiple tasks in kind of one bot, and and then you can choose that maybe in in this case you want to run one or the other. And it, so it is just a simple definition that that tells what kind of entry points you have into the bot that, that you are deploying there. Okay. One of the things I really liked about the repository that you have is that if you were to search RoboCore and and just type in example, <laughs> mm-hmm. it'll definitely uh, surface a lot of interesting sort of examples. And, and then you could also maybe even narrow it to Python um, if you want to see ones that are implementing lots of sort of Python-specific libraries or tasks. Any other suggestions on searching for uh, examples? Yes, so, so we have whole website is called Roboco Portal that has a, we have tried to collect the, the like a different, first of all, like technologies, like when you want, sometimes you know that you want to integrate, let's say Microsoft Excel, or you want to integrate yeah. Salesforce or, or certain type of system. Uh, and so we have some examples centered around that. And some of the other examples are more towards use case. So this is how you would build, let's say, invoice processing, where you have a certain uh, flow of the systems, where, where the kind of the orchestrations come into uh, more into the picture. So you, so you might have, let's say, extra file coming in, and and then you split that to to multiple like subtasks. You m- might process them in parallel, and ultimately combine the resize that kind of things. So so there's a huge bunch of examples uh, we have tried to collect to make it easy to get started. Nice. So when you kind of dig in, where does the Python part of it kind of come in as far as like it integrating w- with Python? Like what are some examples of how that kind of ties into the robot framework? Yes. So the integration is, is pretty seamless. So, so robot framework is pretty thin uh, layer on top of Python, and you can essentially implement uh, user keywords in Python. So, so you just have a certain convention that you have a Python function called X, and you can invoke it from the, the keyword dimension. Okay. So all, all in all, it's, it's pretty seamless and uh, a low barrier to jump between Python and robot framework. Okay. In some ways, it feels like you're uh, scripting out and, and kind of jumping past the having to build out a, a command line interface, you're, you're sort of defining all of it in, in the configuration files. Oh, uh, absolutely. That That's one part of it. And what, what we feel that where one of the big uh, value uh, in the robot neighbor comes from is, is actually the logging. So with Python, if you want to trace what the bot is doing, you, you need to essentially implement it yourself. I, I'm sure there are some frameworks, etc. So it's not rocket science, but with robot framework, you will get by default 
a log that uh, contains very detailed uh, information on what was executed and what was the result of each keyword. And if, if something fails, you immediately can tell from the log that, hey, this is where we went wrong. So I, we, we feel that that is one of the biggest uh, value adds of the robot framework. Yeah, so kind of going beyond being a, a solo developer, uh, writing your own kind of individual scripts to run little jobs here and there, this might be the graduation point where you're like, okay, I, I do need it to do logs. Uh, I do need it to combine multiple script steps together, things like that. Is that kind of what we're talking about? Yes, uh, uh, absolutely. And and all, all this, basically it raises the abstraction level as well. So you can have a, a bit closer to human readable. So, so some companies even utilize this to, let's say, review the tasks or tests uh, with sometimes even business people because they are a bit closer to human readable in the sense that you, you can make sense out of that without understanding code. So there's a lot of benefits, but but... On the other hand, we, we are not too opinionated on that. So we have customers who are running just Python because they have the competence for that. They have maybe invested in building their own frameworks that kind of facilitate and, and provide the standard structure for Python. So that's also totally fine. So it's, it's all everything built on Python regardless. Revsys is a crew of Python experts. Their team of senior developers, ops people, and consultants knows what works and what doesn't. They've been where you are before, probably many times. Let them draw on their deep well of experience and guide you to smoother waters. RevSys offers a variety of services customized to your clients' needs, like code reviews, architecture design, embedding with your team to improve velocity, writing your first tests, or doing your Python and Django upgrades for you. What you don't know can hurt you. Let us make suggestions to improve your code and processes. Learn more at revsys.com slash hello. One of the other potential issues that someone could run into if they aren't the developer, or even if they are the developer, is then sort of sharing this tool, this and sending it to another machine. In the case of Python libraries and other things that may not be on that machine, maybe it's a brand new user and you need to set up the uh, logging of hours, you know, scripted or, or a, a robot. What's the way that you have for sharing those things, those uh, sort of environments, if you will? Sure. So this, first of all, I have to say that I... When we were starting the company four years ago, I would never believe it's this difficult. <laughs> uh, so we have invested way more time and, and resources into building this than I would have originally believed. But I think it's, it has been all, all worth it. Okay. So, yes, ultimately, to pick up challenges with the Python, uh, you know, is like it is, you easily end up in a situation where it works on your machine. So maybe you have a certain version of Python that comes with your operating system, then you Write things out, you install dependencies, pip install, all very easy, convenient, nice. But soon you are at a situation where, where the kind of the environment has kind of organically happened and you have you don't really know exactly what is there. Yeah. And <laughs> and that that that's cool when, when it's on your machine, but when, but when you need to deploy Python in, in production, it, it gets a bit more tricky. And uh, of course, 
still, if you can, let's say, build a container, script the library installation and run everything in container, it's still pretty easy. But where it gets complicated in our experience, when you need to ship it to somebody's desktop, and more precisely, if you cannot use container technologies, and this is the case with RPA, typically, when you need to interact with, let's say, a Windows desktop application. Yeah. Uh, if you run your bot in container, it's not going to work. So, so you need to be able to deploy it to the uh, end user's uh, computer. Yeah, it, it sounds like kind of combining a bunch of common issues that we've been talking about on the show of of just getting things set up correctly. And um, it's interesting that you're leaning on Conda environments. Um, that's not something that we've talked about a ton on the show. Is there a particular reason that that you're you've chosen that over other potential ways of doing it sure so so the contract was was chosen ultimately because we wanted to first of all deploy the python along with our stack so you don't need to have a python there and this is is a, a big enabler for kind of um, systematically maintaining also the python version so you can have a project that you are now building with python 3.9 and then you have another project that's using Python 3.10, yeah. whatever versions you, you have chosen. And if you want to reuse the same virtual machine for, for running these bots, uh, then it, it gets tough unless you can manage the Python version in a contract fashion. So this was ultimately the reason we, we went with a Conda-based solution because Conda works very well. It, Conda Forge already has like Python available, so you can just say that I want this version of Python and it will just come uh, kind of out of the box. It also works for distributing uh, other binaries. Yes. <laughs> like you are not even restricted to Python. So, yeah, so, yeah. so it is, in that sense, it's more, more robust and more flexible. I think it is the reason that it's as popular as it is in the data science communities because very often they are leveraging those C libraries and other kinds of resources that can't really necessarily do easily with pip by itself you you might need to have a little more overarching environment exactly that was our our reasoning as well and and then we partnered with with a company called quantstack and and they were building an open source tool called micromamba which is a, a tiny uh, c++ executable and and it is like a very self-contained small executable and yet it is able to kind of bootstrap a full Conda environment. And that's actually what we use under the hood uh, in, in our stack as well. Yeah. I actually went ahead and, and, and played with this tool. And the tool is that you, that you have for doing this is called RCC. Like, what does that stand for? We, we don't have an answer for that. <laughs> so li- literally, we don't know okay. with the company. Uh, I, I like these days, I like to use the definition given by one community member. He's not even our customer, one, one guy from the community. And he, he called, it, uh, called it a really cool command. All right. <laughs> yeah. So to, to set up RCC on the machine is really the key thing. One of the things that you have in a lot of the documentation that I was kind of going through is that in the past, if you are a Python developer, let's say, and you want to share this tool with Joe or Jane down the hall and set it up on their machine, you may have printed out 
three pages of instructions <laughs> for them to follow to get it all set up. And that might be, you know, hey, you need to install this particular version of Python, and then you need to do this and, and so forth. And so installing RCC in the case of on my Mac, it, it used Homebrew, which worked pretty well. And then you have instructions for the other ones, but it was a pretty short set of instructions. It actually went really quickly for, for me on my Mac. And then from there, you can just run like a single terminal command, RCC, you know, run or, you know, downloading the particular package. I was pretty impressed with that. Thank you. And I'm happy to hear, hear it work for you. Yeah. What it's doing that's kind of interesting is that it's sort of uh, abstracting a lot of the choices that someone would need to make that we've been conversing about on the show about virtual environments or packaging and, and distribution and I thought that was kind of intriguing, and I'm guessing it went into a lot of uh, sort of decision-making there. What were some of the hurdles that you had to kind of get through? Yeah, sure. So like I said, this has been something we have been working on for a few years already, so it has been obviously an iterative process. Uh, looking at the needs we basically wanted is, is exactly what you said, that you need to deploy the same Python program in different environments. And this also applies, even if it's the same person, you might want to like develop with love like Mac or some prefer Linux. Yeah. So you can use any operating system you have and then deploy the same bot in Windows, if that's the target environment, or, or Linux in, in the cloud. Uh, so so that uh, absorbs away that pain of, of dealing with the cross-platform differences. Yeah, that's really a, an advanced part of what you're doing is this idea of the developer is really just creating one solution that uh, quote unquote works on their machine but but you guys behind the scenes are are making it so that it should be able to run across all those platforms yeah exactly and and furthermore what we have paid a lot of attention to is that we use it internally in in our product as a like a swiss army knife under the hood in all the cases so whenever the developer runs a certain bot with with rcc on their machines it's going to be run exactly the same way when it's deployed to production and whether it's an assistant like a user end user desktop or whether it's a back office type of bot is always going to go through the exact same flow using RCC. And and with this, we want to make it as easy as possible and, and have the developer be as confident as possible that it works on my machine, it's most likely going to work on the products. Yeah. Of course, that's not always the case, but, but that's what we aim for. <laughs> have you had uh, examples in your own life of, of uh, the it works on your machine? <laughs> kind of thing oh well <laughs> plenty of, uh, so many a developer who who has not and and I, I i mean of course but it's more prevalent in my experience i have it mostly with with python and uh, node to some extent where it's very easy to pull in in the third party dependencies and then you end up kind of a, a situation where you don't know what you have yeah part of what is happening that i thought was intriguing too was that you I don't know if that's part of the Conda environments, but it uh, it is definitely locking the dependencies. Is that something that you got to choose, or is that something that's sort of built into like what QuantStack kind of built? Yeah, we have co-developed it, and and some of it is still in in our stack. And this is one of the things that is pretty nasty if you don't lock the 
uh, dependency versions. Uh, you might deploy a bot in production. It runs nicely for a month, and then some third-party library in the chain yeah. uh, changes and things break. So we, we try to uh, provide it as easy as possible to, to also pin down the dependencies. And once you deploy to production, we, we try to guarantee that you get get the exact same versions of the libraries. Okay. There are a couple of different ways that you might script this thing to sort of run. What would it look like typically for that end user once it's been installed on their machine to get this to run? You, you, I think you mentioned maybe they could just click a button, but I'm, I'm guessing that might involve having to add a couple extra things as opposed to you know maybe typing a terminal command. Sure. So there's kind of, um, maybe we can first talk about the generic case. If, if you just like to use our open source offering, let's say RCC tooling. Okay. So then it is a command line program. You could just script it, add a bad script on the desktop or something like that. So so that is, is completely free and open. Then if you go into what we offer as a product, the users would typically not deal with RCC directly. So we offer a few layers of abstraction on top of it. And uh, talking about these two classic cases, one, uh, the, the case where you want to deploy it on your personal desktop. For that, we have an application called Robocop Assistant. So you would install that assistant on each of the machines where, where you want to run it. And, and then that gets linked to our cloud platform, which uh, we call control room. And ultimately what the control room is doing in case of the assistant, it lets the operator of the RPA operation uh, to kind of define that what version of the bot is deployed. And ultimately our product will be the, like a chain to deliver the exact version of the bot and the configuration to the machine. So, so ID needs to install the, the application and then the user goes through a very simple linking sequence and, and then the operation can be managed in, in a centralized fashion. Okay. Does that include running the RPA on their own machine or could it also be running as like a, a cloud hosted thing? Is that part of it too? Absolutely. So so that is the other type of deployment, what we call unattended. And for that deployment, we do have an application called Robocop Worker that is a kind of does the same things, but the main difference is there that the worker essentially connects the machine to be part of the digital workforce in a sense that the cloud platform can and provision work to these machines. Okay. So they are kind of there sitting, waiting for some job to be dispatched to them. Whereas in the assistant case, it's always the end user who is triggering it. But but the, the cloud platform can, can, the jobs can be triggered by an API call or maybe an inbound email, a schedule, that kind of thing. So it, it offers much more flexibilities in how the bots are started. Okay. So like it could be staring at a directory waiting for something to land in there and absolutely okay well i think that gets us pretty deep into the platform and sharing it and configuring it one of the things that you've decided to do here is make this open source and there was like a entire page on your website that talks about advantages um so why do you think there are advantages for your company to have this be an open source tool Mm -hmm. so we 
our company has uh, all the founders are developers. Okay. So we we kind of have the developer mindset, and you know, developers they they also love open source. Yeah. Uh, we also think that it, it it makes sense in in many ways. So open source is has been transforming many industries and and in our vision it's time for it to do that for for the rpa industry uh, of course for the customer benefits the, the way we see it is first of all they have full control of the bot so they are not even if we would go away they still have the bot they still have the full stack used to implement it so so it kind of gives them insurance that Nobody is going to take that away and nobody is going to just magically uh, make it much more expensive to run, etc. So they, they can um, assume ownership of the of their bots. Uh, it also allows them to audit the bots down to the last line of code. And that is often um, very de- desired in regulated industries where the bot uh, may deal with some sensitive data that yeah. needs to be right. There's nothing hiding uh, in exactly. in a <laughs> particular folders or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, and on top of that, maybe some some OPOs benefits to mention that is that being able to leverage all the development tooling that is built being built in the world, which is also a lot of it is open source, but like a version control, yeah, code review. So so just being able to plug into the existing infrastructure there and not having to build all that in our product is, is also a relief in, in many ways. Okay, so this virtuous circle there. Mm-hmm. Nice. If someone was interested in getting more involved with Robot Framework or RCC or some of these other projects that you have that are in, in open source, how, how could they get involved? So... Robot framework is is a bit different. It, it is governed by a foundation, and it it is a mature project. And at the core, the beauty of it is, it is pretty simple at its core. So you would typically not need to contribute to the core framework itself. But what what it has going on for it is a huge thriving library ecosystem. So, and and this is where many people end up uh, starting their journey is maybe they want to integrate it to certain system, but it doesn't have a robot framework library uh, available. So they might might start by building a library and publishing it as, as open source. And so, so that's the most, most common way to start contributing there. On our tooling specifically, we also maintain a the RCC, uh, then then we have a library called RPA Framework, which is essentially a collection of libraries for robot framework that are tailored for typical RPA use cases. And we, of course, welcome contributions. We have had some already, uh, but it's all out there. Development is visible on the GitHub, and and anybody is welcome to try it out and and report issues or or even contribute code. Okay, and if people are interested in sort of checking out sort of the community conversations on that stuff, GitHub is a great place to kind of see, you know, what's going on as far as the the current state of things. But are there other sort of community platforms that you're using also? Oh, yes. Uh, we have a Slack community that is like, I believe, 12,000 registered members. So it's already quite big and active. And you can get yourself invited by essentially signing up for our product and um, uh, checking a box. Uh, then uh, 
Funnily enough, it, it is also a bot that will invite you, <laughs> you to the Slack community. There you go, yeah. And the bot is open source also on, on our website. This week, I want to shine a spotlight on another RealPython video course. If you work with files, whether it's creating, organizing, or transmitting them across the internet, and you'd like Python to help manage some of these tasks, then this course is for you. It's titled Manipulating Zip Files with Python. The course is based on a real Python tutorial by Leodanus Pozo Ramos. And in the video course, Darren Jones shows you how to read, write, and extract files from zip files with Python zip file. Read metadata about the content of zip files. How to use zip file to manipulate member files in existing zip files. And you'll create new zip files to archive and compress existing files. If you commonly deal with zip files, then this knowledge will help to streamline your workflow and help you process your files much more confidently with Python. RealPython video courses are broken into easily consumable sections, and where needed, include code examples for the techniques shown. All courses have a transcript, including closed captions. Check out the video course. You can find a link in the show notes, or you can find it using the enhanced search tool on realpython.com. I think it's an interesting platform. Like it, it's kind of this thing that you know, I already talked about the idea of an individual developer sitting there and working with like a singular script and then figuring out like, okay, well, how can I run it? And and then ha- again, having to roll your own, like how do I share it kind of thing. So this is acting a bit like a, a set of tools to glue it all together and then a consistency, um, <laughs> uh, which I think is really interesting to it. What do you, what else do you think are advantages to the platform? You you nailed it with this description because just today I was in a, in a customer call or potential customer and they were saying that we have been using uh, Python to build automation and they love it. The automation perform well, they are reliable, developers love it, but, but, but what they are struggling with is they have 200 automations deployed and they have zero visibility. Or well, they do, of course, they do have some, but you can easily imagine how you end up deploying a Python automation, you know, right. put it to run on some virtual machine or Lambda, or whatever you want to use. But, but you don't really have the, the centralized governance and visibility on what the bots are doing and what kind of business value are they creating or even like the technical operations of it. So that is where, where we believe that our product can add, add a lot of value, especially the control room is is to manage the operation yeah yeah that makes sense if someone wanted to we we talked about using rcc to move the particular rpas to like a windows machine from a mac or to like a linux machine uh is that also i didn't really see much on it but like i'm guessing you could get it to run in like a container environment or something like that also, if you wanted to, uh, you know, like host it somewhere. Yes, definitely. Uh, our easiest solution is we do offer a containers that are hosted by us. Sure. So in that case, only thing you need to do is, is push the bot to the platform and click run, essentially. We, we have implemented it in a way that each of the run gets their fresh container 
uh, it, we will provision the environment there, the bot will do its thing, and then the uh, container will die o- along with all the data that you don't explicitly push out. So, so this is probably half of our volume is coming from this type of automation. So this is very easy to get started with, and it works extremely well for automating systems that are available on the internet, where, where you can, you know, run a container on the internet and, and the system is available. Yeah. But where it falls short, of course, is if the system is a Windows application or it is hosted somewhere in your internal network. So in those cases, you always need to deploy what we call a self-hosted worker where, where you control the infrastructure. Yeah, well, that's been, again, kind of going back to the regulations and things like that I, i've worked in a couple of those industries where you're really locked down <laughs> yes and uh yeah okay so yeah it, it's nice that again it being open source that i guess you could maybe have people look through it and get approval and uh and move things forward i'm, I'm a little interested like how you got interested in this field like uh, what what made you interested in you know automation and, and getting involved of it now that you're the vp of engineering uh, uh, to be frank, in, in my uh, case, it was the founding team. So I was not, uh, in general, I have to admit, I'm not the visionary here uh, who is telling where we need to go. I'm all about getting things done okay. once we have a clear goal. But, but uh, all the credit for kind of getting the company started was, was is our founder, CEO, Antti, who had been actually doing, uh, you know, uh, RPA or his in the company he was working in, they they were doing RPA with the current market leading tools like UiPath, Blue Prism, those tools, and he kind of realized that uh, it's mostly developers building the bots, but those tools are not developer tools, yeah. and developers are not exactly loving the tools. And I'm not discrediting the tools, but it's just the way way they are built. So they are essentially user interface based, etc. So so Antti's vision was that we, we need to change this. We, we want to uh, offer an alternative a way to do RPA that is developer friendly, built on the developer ecosystem. And other thing he wanted to change in the status quo was, was that we want to build it cloud native. So, so the current generation market leaders are still mostly on-prem. They have added, of course, uh, cloud-based offering, but we build it from the ground up to be a, like a, a cloud-native multi-tenant solution. So they were historically having a, a server or some other kind of thing on the premises of a particular place and, and everything was installed there. Yes, exactly. And of course, there, there's nothing wrong with that. And uh, truth be told, whenever the many of the big companies were starting, uh, it was not possible to do cloud native the way it is today. So it, it's just that the yeah. technology has evolved very rapidly into a direction where this is the norm uh, these days. Yeah, as far as the tooling part, I noticed you guys are showing off uh, VS Code quite a bit in it and sort of a integration there as far as uh, code completion and, and so forth. What was some of the decisioning there as far as uh, showing off VS Code as, as a tool? Yeah, th- this was also an, another interesting story. Uh, so, of course, we wanted to leverage something that was out there. And our initial developer tool was actually based on uh, Lab. Oh, okay. And uh, and that was also like Python, all, all that. But it 
didn't ultimately work out. It was just way too way way too big, too complex. Maybe we didn't manage to do it right. I don't know, but we we had a lot of challenges with that. And then we started to experiment with other tools, and and then VS Code it got a lot of traction. So the custom or the users loved it, and uh, was of course developers love it, and and ultimately it ended up being our primary uh, tool. But but we still think that there is demand for something that is a bit easier and uh, lowers the barrier. Of of entry, so we have also recently launched like an early early version of, of a tool called Automation Studio that is kind of bringing the, the more like track and drop and more easy to approach a tool, which kind of solves the problem that when you open the tool and you have an em- empty editor window, that that is really tough to get started from even if you have an example yeah so so we are trying to bridge the gap uh, gap here with automation studio but but vs code is still the primary tool that essentially allows you to do anything so that tool would look more like a potentially like you know dragging puzzle pieces together to yes uh, yes okay. exactly that's that's what the automation studio is all about okay cool one thing that you have a few links to and kind of uh seems like maybe that you're very interested in is this intelligent document processing. You know, tell me a little bit about IDP and how, how this might integrate with that. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's it's very common in the real world use cases we see. So almost every day we are talking with customers. Right now we don't have anything bundled in our product. So we our strategy has been in in a way to just make it easy to integrate with the best of breed IDP solution that that are on the market because they, they often uh, depend on the use case. So some IDP solutions good for invoices, something else may be better for if it's, let's say, know your customer use case where you need to look at um, identity documentation, that kind of things. So we usually try to uh, support our customers in, in bridging together a, a mix of technologies that work best for them. But IDP is definitely something that we see, see out there all the time. Yeah, I guess that uh, signature comp- uh, comparison would be an example of that. Or yes, yeah, okay, that too. Yes. Well, Sampo, I have these questions. I like to ask everybody. The first one is, what's something you're excited about in the world of Python that could be like an event that's coming up, book, package, editor, what have you? Yeah, this probably sounds even boring, but uh, for me right now, it's the uh, sudden race. In, in the popularity of the artificial intelligence. So everything that's going on there started by, by chat GPT. So it's just fascinating to watch like the revolution. <laughs> like, and and it's, it's just unbelievable what it is capable of. And I have to add with myself, I was like half a year ago, I was still a bit hesitant, like is this AI thing really something that you can, can deploy and put into good use. But today I don't have any any doubt of it and it, it is here to stay. So my current, uh, um, what I'm like learning and, and looking into is, is trying to understand it more because I, I wasn't too deep in the interspace space earlier, but now I realize that it is, it is something that is absolutely mandatory these days. Yeah. Are there any particular resources that you've come across that were, uh, you know, really informative or, you know, kind of uh, piqued your interest? 
we have been looking at things like uh, Langchain. Uh, also, we are running a pilot with a fellow startup uh, who is uh, basically providing a chatbot that is able to answer questions and, and answer them based on our documentation. So we have trained it on our, our materials and running it on our, our Slack uh, community, actually. So for me, it's all about like understanding how this technology now enables solving some real-world problems. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as somebody who's you know kind of working in the, the media world, I've used it, uh, at least the open AI sort of portal version of it to like, okay, write me a summary of this thing, which is really kind of amazing, you know, it not having to interject like, you know, an opinion or anything like that, but just to, you know, save time to, to do something like that. It's, it's really powerful. Exactly. This doesn't have to be Python or programming specific, but what's something that you want to learn next? I, I guess I already answered also that. So, <laughs> so there's always a, well, let, let's say, Building a startup is, I think that I have learned so much during the last last four years. We have been going on about it, so it's it's constant learning. But now I'm I'm putting the like the conscious learning efforts are now going going towards the the AI development. Awesome. So how can people follow along with the project or, or follow what you do online? So personally, I I am not very active uh, on on the typical online channels. But as a company, of course, we, we try to make a lot of noise about all things automation, Python, and robot framework. So uh, we we do have, uh, as mentioned, a very active developer Slack community that that anybody can join. And of course, we we do have our GitHub, LinkedIn, Twitter, the usual things. Okay, great. I'll make sure that we include links for all that stuff there. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Sure. Thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been really fantastic to talk to you. Likewise. Thank you. Remember, every developer needs to lean on a more experienced team member from time to time. RevSys and their team of Python experts at RevSys.com can be that team member for you. I want to thank Sampo Ahokas for coming on the show this week. And I want to thank you for listening to The Real Python Podcast. Make sure that you click that follow button in your podcast player. And if you see a subscribe button somewhere, remember that the Real Python podcast is free. If you like the show, please leave us a review. You can find show notes with links to all the topics we spoke about inside your podcast player or at realpython.com slash podcast. And while you're there, you can leave us a question or a topic idea. I've been your host, Christopher Bailey, and I look forward to talking to you soon.